and they confronted the older gentleman, told him they wanted his money and his weapons. He said no. They produced weapons. The older gentleman shot one of them with a gut shot, and they opened up on him with an AK-47. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement Podcast, brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, GoLawEnforcement.com has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. On this episode, I talk with 15-year homicide investigator, Bill Hansen. Welcome, Bill Hansen. Thank you, Joe. We're going to really focus today on the role of homicide investigators. So can you tell me what do homicide investigators do? Well, with with different departments, they may have uh, different things that they're uh, required to do. With uh, my experience in homicide, we would do the scenes. We'd have detectives that actually took care of the scenes. We had uh, detectives that would take care of the interviews. You normally have a primary and a secondary uh, detective on the case that are responsible for the case, and uh, they will do the interviews with your suspects, uh, with your witnesses, and if you have any surviving victims or a possible victim that's going to die, uh, they'll contact those folks and do those interviews. Uh, as far as the other investigators, you may have folks doing a crime scene, you may have them doing secondary interviews or recanvassing uh, at the same time. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different moving parts in this. Uh, but homicide investigators are responsible for, of course, suspicious deaths also. They're responsible for uh, suicides. They may be responsible for all deaths that are in their jurisdiction, but they're also responsible for officer-involved shootings and also in custody deaths. Now, in custody deaths could be uh, where you have uh, – I've been involved in one before where we I was wrestling with an individual, and uh, I had other officers come up and help me. And uh, the individual was on the ground. They were trying to uh, secure him, and he had a heart attack and died. That's also an in-custody death because it's looked at if we did anything wrong. Uh, You'll normally get a board of inquiry out there at BOI, and they'll look at that type of thing and see if we followed all our rules of procedures or general orders, whatever it may be, and also the uh, revised statutes for your state. And they look at those type of things to make sure you did a a proper uh, job in the case. Can you describe a case which highlights your work as a homicide investigator? I worked homicide cases for 15 years. Just got done and retired last year from uh, the police department that I was on. But the, uh, I, I think the interesting cases that I could give you, probably my first case that I had was a 74-year-old man who was out walking his dog and he had an individual who was a 17 year old male who uh, was upset that he was walking his dog in the street, uh, decided to take out an aluminum baseball bat and go after this 74 year old man with his dog. Uh, he repeatedly struck the old man with a baseball bat. I had a lot of witnesses that were out there. I also had a bus driver and a bus full of people that witnessed this where it occurred on a stretch of probably a two-mile area until someone was able to get to the old man and get him away from this kid and take him to his residence. 
that individual was in the hospital for a little while, probably about another two months, and died. Uh, that was my first homicide case. I was in aggravated assault when that happened. Uh, ag assault is where you have an individual that's shot, beaten, stabbed, or hurt, and uh, they don't automatically die. But uh, if they do end up dying, it's our case. So I had a lot of uh, cases like that when I was in homicide, I'm sorry, aggravated assault, that later turned into homicides, but that was one of my first cases. But I enjoyed the fact that I could go out there and, and do uh, something for the greater good and do a proper investigation, make sure that this kid went to jail and wasn't out there to uh, hurt anyone else. I, I guess the thing that got me started in homicide investigation, uh, I had a, uh, a stepbrother that was murdered in New York when I was uh, in the military. I was 19 years old. And he was murdered in New York. Uh, New York called it a, a suicide. He was shot on the Brooklyn Bridge by a blonde-haired girl that ran off. And for some reason, they called that a suicide. I, I knew at that point, I'd always wanted to get in police work, and I thought, I'm going to be a homicide investigator because I don't want things like that to, uh, you know, to happen down the road to anybody else. Uh, as far as any other cases that uh, I could highlight, gosh, I could, I could talk for hours. One of the ones that uh, kind of hits home uh, is a, uh, another gentleman that was a World War II veteran who uh, enjoyed collecting weapons. A lot of these weapons were older weapons. They weren't very good, really, but he enjoyed doing that. That was one of his things that he uh, enjoyed uh, doing. And he also collected uh, pirated DVDs and CDs. One of the people that he would contact decided they'd do a home invasion on him and go to get his property. And this kid, along with three others, went over and kicked in the old man's door while they had a, uh, one of his sons that has mental conditions living with him. And they confronted the older gentleman in the bathroom, told him they wanted his money and his weapons. He said no. At that point, they produced weapons. The older gentleman shot one of them with a gut shot in the bathroom. And they opened up on him with an AK-47 and a couple of other weapons and killed a 74-year-old man, but the one kid bled on the floor outside and out by the front door. From that case, I was able to get DNA from that wall area and also the outside area, which led to that kid's arrest. We've got three other individuals that we looked at going to trial with. Uh, we had a pretty good, solid case, and the thing that really got to me was the fact that these kids that did this, I call them kids, they were 19, 20 years old, so they weren't kids, they were adults, but these kids that did this had the audacity to say that the 74-year-old man was a drug dealer, and that's why they were over there, was to collect on a drug debt, and he shot them to begin with, so they retaliated and shot him in self-defense. I had a jury just about by that, and the kid that was a shooter got convicted of second-degree murder, but the jury almost went on his side on this saying the 74-year-old man was a, uh, a drug dealer, which we had no indication of that he was a drug dealer. Uh, I found out later on through some of the snitches in the jail that these kids have reached out to people in the jail system and offered to pay $500 to anybody that would come up and say, yeah, this guy sold me drugs before, meth, crack, whatever it may be. And we actually tracked down a guy in Chicago that was a truck driver 
who was going to go on the stand and lie and say he bought from this older man before. Uh, we headed him off the path, so to speak, and talked to his wife. She had said that those people had come by her house, talked to her, and were trying to get her husband to do this, but she was going to testify against him if he did that. That's what it came down to in court, where the defense was going to call this gentleman when they found out that we'd already done our homework and we we're going to discredit him and, and the rest of the defense on this. They took all that back, but still said this gentleman, a 74-year-old man, was a drug dealer. And for us to be sitting there hearing that, it, it was a little disheartening because the justice system is supposed to work. But when we're sitting there and we're presenting our case and we feel it's a good case, we have to go with the truth, as you know, and hopefully your listeners know. Uh, with the defense, they could throw whatever they want to against the wall, and whatever sticks, that's what they get. And that's one of the things that I think was a highlight to my work, where I worked as hard as I could, and I still almost lost the first-degree murder case that I wanted to. It went on a second. But at least we were able to keep this kid in, in prison. He's still in there now, and he will be for another 20 years. Can you describe your career path in law enforcement and ultimately how you became a homicide investigator? As far as my career path, I started my uh, police work in 1990 as a, a deputy sheriff in Mojave County, which is an area up by Bullhead. And uh, if you're familiar with the Arizona area at all by Las Vegas, Bullhead is outside of Laughlin, Nevada, which is about 80 miles away from uh, Vegas. And from where I was at, it's called the Golden Triangle. It's Bullhead, Laughlin, and Lake Havasu, and that provides a triangle area up in that area by Lake Havasu. And when I was a deputy sheriff there, I started as a field training officer. I was a SWAT operator and also a SWAT team leader and did a lot of uh, narcotics investigations up there. We had uh, our hands full with a lot of bikers that came through the area. That's why they call it the Golden Triangle because uh, methamphetamines back in the day was the first thing to move through there. That's before anybody else in the state ever saw meth. We had it in Mojave County. Uh, we had Hells Angels, uh, Huns, Hessians, Vagos, Dirty Dozen, you name it. We had them all up there in, in that area. And uh, we'd have a lot, of, uh, a lot of drug traffic. From there, I came to uh, Casa Grande for a short time, Casa Grande PD. And uh, that's when I was testing with Tucson Police Department. And I just completed my FTO in Casa Grande when they told me that uh, Tucson was offering me a spot. Uh, I had family here in Tucson, so I decided to come here at that point. So I was promoted in 1998. I worked the burglary task force. Uh, that was a very good thing. It was all property crimes, but we we're actually able to go out there and do a lot of uh, a lot of things through pawns, through stolen property, uh, through sellbacks to criminals, and arrest them for things like that through the pawn shops. Uh, we were able to do surveillance by bus with drugs. So it was, it was a lot of fun. They don't do that these days, unfortunately, but back then it was a lot of fun. Uh, from there, I went to aggravated assault because it's a normal progression normally to go from property crimes to uh, people crimes. And uh, again, in aggravated assault, I was there for five years. I worked numerous murders with our homicide unit. Uh, the sergeant there had me out on almost every call they were out on. And in 2005, I started in homicide, and I worked there for the next 10 years in the homicide unit. 
I've worked a long time as a detective waiting to get that homicide slot. Nowadays, it's not that bad uh, to be able to hop into one of those slots. They, they move people pretty quickly, unfortunately. Uh, back in the day, I had to wait for somebody to retire or somebody to die before I moved into a slot. Uh, I had a gentleman that retired, and I took his slot in homicide. Uh, and that's the first movement they had had in there in years. Before I had anybody else come in that unit, it was probably another five years before we had a new person in the unit. Uh, nowadays, you could actually move in there pretty quick. But uh, back back when I did it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, a spot that a lot of people look toward uh, for their, I don't know, crowning achievement or, uh, you know, your, your best spot you want to be in detectives, and that's homicide. Was there any special education or training that helped position you for becoming a homicide investigator? Yes. We went through, uh, well, we went through a 40-hour course to become a detective initially. Uh, through that, we learned uh, interview and interrogation, a crime scene. We learned different things as far as what we'd see in a crime scene, whether it be blood spatter or uh, bullet trajectories, things like that. We went through that uh, class to at least get that step into it. From there, I was uh, associated with the Arizona Homicide Investigators Association, AHIA, and I did that uh, when I first started in aggravated assault. And from there, I was able to get uh, a lot more training in homicide investigation. And what the uh, what AHIA does is offers cheap training to people around the state of Arizona and I know other states have uh, homicide investigators associations. What they are normally is a nonprofit, and they will go out and teach people that come into the units. We had a basic homicide school that I went through. I also went through an advanced homicide school. Uh, the basic homicide school teaches you things uh, for a newer person in homicide, dealing with the county attorney, uh, dealing with the medical examiner, some of those different uh, ideals. Um, trying to get your case worked together and your, uh, you know, running a proper investigation. Uh, the advanced was more on blood spatter, was more on crime scene, uh, was more on some of the difficult cases we had uh, covering some of these suspicious deaths. Because in, in homicide investigation, and some of the uh, listeners will probably find this out when they get into it, the suspicious deaths take longer a lot of times than a homicide case will. Uh, a suspicious death may take you months to solve, or a homicide, you may have it done that night. If it's a husband-wife or uh, some type of DV relationship where, you know, somebody shoots somebody, you're able to solve it right away, where a suspicious death, you have to go through and look at medical background. You have to look at the medical examiner's uh, review on this. You have to uh, go through all your statements, all your witness information to find out if it is in fact, a natural death, an accidental, uh, or if it may be a homicide. So uh, the the education that AHIA provides and a lot of the investigators associations assists you in becoming a better homicide investigator. Uh, it, uh, it it tells you, and this is what I, I was a pres president uh, for the past two years, and I'm the past president now of AHIA, the Homicide Investigators Association out of Arizona. What are some of the myths that should be corrected about the work of homicide investigators? I would say that uh, 
you know, you watch the CSI shows, you watch uh, 48 Hours, you watch all these different shows and everything is done in, uh, you know, the half hour that it takes to run the show. And that's that, that's not uh, what happens. Uh, I was on first 48 on eight episodes and we had the uh, film crews that were with us and we were able to uh, get some of these cases solved within the first 48, which was great. Uh, but one of the myths about homicide, it's never solved that quickly. To have a murder-suicide or have a husband that shot his wife that's still holding the gun when officers get there, those are rare. Normally, our cases are going to be a body that's dumped that was shot elsewhere. Uh, this may be somebody from Mexico that lost some loads of dope, and they were shot and dumped here. So you've got a body. But you've got no cartridge casings, you've got no bad guys there, you've got tire tracks, and that's it, and a body. So some of the myths that you see uh, on a lot of these different shows, not necessarily all the, you know, 48 hours and things like that, but some of the CSI shows and things like that, they're ridiculous. You know, they show you where, you know, they're able to look at a tire print and it matches up with uh, a car that they saw down the street and they, you know, looked at an x-ray and they could see the tire as it drove away because they had a, a license plate reader or something like that. And that's, those things don't happen. But unfortunately, a lot of people on the jury believe those things. And that's what they're looking for in your cases. If you don't have fingerprints on your case, if you don't have DNA, they're not going to look at a case very uh, realistically because that's how they've been taught on TV. I have to see fingerprints. I have to see DNA. In a lot of those cases, we don't have it. Actually, our judges in Superior Court address that in the jury instructions where these things aren't real. This is TV. You may not have fingerprints. You may not have DNA. That doesn't happen, you know, all the time on these cases. More often than not, you don't see that. Do you think that the proliferation of all these uh, CSI shows has made getting a, a conviction even more difficult? Oh, sure. Yeah, I would say it, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult. Uh, it also makes it, when these shows first came out, it was uh, kind of tough because some of the bad guys now and the bad girls are seeing our secrets out there that we use to be able to find out who did this uh, to the scene. They find out things that uh, we look for that are left at the scene. So they were trying to tell some of our secrets out there, which, which hurt us, in the long run, but then they became just ridiculous on some of the things where they, you know, have a, a photograph somebody from a mile away and say, you know, we do spatial recognition and, and send this off to the FBI and, and find out, you know, who the bad guy is, and those things don't happen. So initially, yes, they were telling some of the secrets out there that we didn't want released, and then now it's just gotten so ridiculous you can't. I, I can't watch those shows unfortunately without laughing at them. What advice would you have for somebody that was interested in becoming a homicide investigator? Keep in school with, uh, with officers who go out there. I think that uh, a good piece of advice for them would be if you want to become a detective and you want to go into this stuff, talk to your supervisor and see if you could ride with the homicide unit for a week or if they have some type of training session that you could go through to see if that's what you want to do. Homicide's not for everyone. Uh, some people like to work in property crime. Some people do that their whole careers. Uh, some people work patrol their whole career. But I would suggest that 
If anyone wants to get into that, go try to do a ride along with them. Go try to talk to that supervisor. Tell them, hey, I want to be a homicide investigator. That's what I did. You know, can I ride with you guys for a week? And I rode with them for a week. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm on every homicide they have because I did crime scenes well. Uh, he knew I, the supervisor knew I did a good job out there. And I got exposed to that and talked to the old heads and found out what I needed to do and how to do a proper investigation and a better investigation and work a better crime scene. So, you know, I, I would say your schooling is very important to you. Uh, if you could get your college education out of the way, that's great. If you could go through these homicide schools and try to get more uh, information from them, there's a lot of different schools out there. They cost some money, though, unfortunately. But hopefully departments can help out with that and get your training out of the way. Go to your blood spatter schools. Go to your gunshot trajectory. Go to your reconstruction schools and get as much experience as you can and as, as much as you can underneath your belt and you'll become a, a good investigator, and you'll do a real good job out there. For somebody that hasn't started their law enforcement career yet, but they were interested in learning more about what it would be like to be a homicide investigator, what would you recommend that they do to get some realistic understandings? I would say for someone that hasn't started their career yet, you need to go to at least community college and try to get some experience in there through some of the programs they have. Talk to your police department and see if you can go into some type of civilian program where they may have a civilian academy to see if that's where you might be able to learn more, uh, see where your strengths are at. Not every cop is going to want to be a homicide investigator, but if that's where your aspirations are, then go to your local department, go to your county department or state department and talk to them about the fact that you'd like to do this and how do I get started? Where can you uh, plug me into something. Do you have a program for this? If I go to a community college, what what uh, classes do I need to take? What's one thing you wish you knew before you got into law enforcement? Well, one thing I wish I knew was that I needed to get my education out of my out of the way. As far as a bachelor's program, I did have college in the military. I, I did uh, ten years active duty and twelve years in the Air Guard. I retired at twenty two years, but I had taken uh, college courses for administration of justice and criminal law. I wish I knew going into law enforcement, though, that I should have wrapped that up. I should have had my bachelor's before I started doing this work. I think it would have helped me out uh, in the long run instead of waiting and, you know, going over the years then, and then trying to get your college. At that point, it's a little bit tougher. If you can get it before you get into law enforcement, I think it would help a career develop a lot better if you have that education on the way. Thank you, Bill Hansen. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.